Amen. How are we doing, Salt Company? Good to see you all. We have a lot to cover tonight, so I'm going to cut to the chase, all right? Sound good? You guys ready for this one? This is a classic Jake each move. I don't get to do this often. Let's get to work, right? Okay. Uh, we are in week three of our series. We have this graphic up here, why? So week one, we talked through why do we gather? And we talked about we gather to devote ourselves to God, his people, and his mission. Last week, Danny taught on why we sing. That's the music note. We sing to express our joy in God and to protect our joy in God. And tonight, we're talking about why we preach, or maybe why you come and listen to somebody preach. But we're not just talking about what is preaching. We primarily want to say, why are we preaching the Bible? Like, why are we spending every week opening up this book, and we are going to be in Paul's second letter to Timothy tonight. So would encourage you, open up. We have a lot of text that I'd like you to see. We're going to kind of zero in on a couple verses. Um, those of you that have hung out with me enough know that this is one of my favorite letters in all of the Bible, and it's because this is Paul's final letter. So Paul is writing, essentially awaiting his death. He's imprisoned in Rome, and he is writing to a guy by the name of, any guesses? Timothy? Yeah, you're paying attention. Uh, he's writing to Timothy, who was considered his child in the faith, like somebody that was younger than him, but that he loved and invested in. And Timothy is pastoring a church in Ephesus, and Paul is kind of writing his final words, like he's on his deathbed, essentially writing to Timothy to pass on these final words. And the primary purpose of his letter is to instill confidence in this young pastor, in this young leader. He's calling him to continue in the faith, cling to Jesus, stay faithful, right? Don't quit. Don't be taken out. And a lot of what he does throughout this letter is he's like, Follow my example. Look at my life. And if you follow me, you will finish just like I have. In fact, 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says this about his own life. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, how many of you have thought about following Jesus this way before? Like a fight or a race? I mean... If you follow Jesus for any amount of time, you've probably figured out it's tough. But when you're somewhere between the ages of 18 to 23, you don't necessarily know how tough. I mean, Paul does. He knows what the struggle is like. And when he's saying fight, he's not talking about a 20-second bar fight. He's talking 12 rounds in the ring, championship boxing. This is endurance. And when it comes to a race, he's not saying, hey, this is a sprint. You're going to exert yourself for a really short amount of time and give it your all for 400 meters. He's saying, this is a marathon. This is going to be hard. Put your big boy pants on, Timothy, right? Now, I've never been in a boxing match or a bar fight, for that matter, uh, but I have run a marathon. And to some of you, that might shock you. It's like, really? Your legs could make it that far? Uh, I think about that reel. Maybe you guys have seen it. There's this little girl running. And her parents say, come on, Harper, you can do it. You guys know what I'm talking about? You've seen this one? And she says, I'm trying. I have little legs. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that was me in my marathon running. Um, 
But as I think about this text, I think about one particular marathon I ran in Wausau, Wisconsin in 2017. And what was unique about this race was actually how well it was going. So I met up with this guy at the, the start line. We kind of talked through what our goals were for finishing time, and he was really hoping to qualify for Boston. I was not that fast, but mile 13, I passed him, and I was like, dang, I'm flying right now, right? Was in a really good spot until mile 17, and something crazy happened. So I'm at this bridge, which is also a highway, and it's a, a really crowded part of the race like heavily populated with spectators, a lot of signs, a lot of people yelling. And the person that was working the race was trying to like point runners in the right direction. Well, the problem was I was kind of off on an island. I was by myself. There was a pack out ahead of me and there was a pack behind me. And she was doing this, right? Trying to actually tell me to cross to the other side of the street, but I didn't cross to the other side of the street. I turned right before the bridge. So I took a wrong turn, and it was really foggy. I didn't figure out until I was another quarter of a mile down this road that I had taken a wrong turn. And by the time I turned around, you just see the the crowd behind me just running past, completely tanked my race. And when I think about Paul charging Timothy, like, man, finish the race, I think that this marathon experience offers a similar warning for us. We're not just running a race. We're not just running a marathon. We're running a marathon in a world that is full of distractions and deceit. I mean, think about this fact that we follow a crucified king. Like Jesus, though he lived perfectly, he was put to death by the most gruesome form of death known to mankind in the crucifixion. That's who we follow. We're like, that's my Lord. And we live in a world that is very much anti-Jesus. I mean, you might not sense a ton of that in Cedar Rapids or on your campus. Maybe you do. But the culture around us teaches against the ways of Jesus. Some of you have been persecuted for Jesus. And what's scary is A lot of people want to get close to Jesus, but they just want to twist the truth enough to deceive us. And Paul writes to Timothy about this in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. Uh, He talks through this season that he says is coming to Timothy. We've seen it today. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, right? There's this like permeating culture of falsehood that is spreading, not just because it's really deceitful, though that's part of it, is we want it. Right? We want a watered down truth that's easier to follow because we're selfish. Like, selfishness comes easy to us when we think about what's more comfortable, what gives us more control. We're like, give me some of that. That makes it hard. And then you consider the true teachings of Jesus are incredibly hard to follow. 
I was thinking about Luke 9 recently where Jesus says, hey, you want to be my disciples? Okay, here's what you got to do. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Pick up this instrument of death and humiliation every single day. Die to yourself. That's what you got to do to be a follower of Jesus. It's hard. And then you add into it this false teaching that is just rampant and it's easy to fall for. Especially when you're at mile 17, right? You feel worn down. You're beat up. You're maybe tired of facing backlash or persecution. You're tired of just how hard the Christian life is. You want to just settle for the false teaching that makes life a little bit easier. And maybe you're just not that aware of false teaching that permeates our culture under these like Christian phrases, right? A perverted view of God is love that just says, go do what you want, right? Like God loves you, you don't have to change. That's not true. Like, does God love you? Yes, he loves you enough to not leave you as you are in a broken state. But it's a false teaching just to say, hey, God loves you. You don't have to change. Or how about this? Listen to your heart, right? We've talked about this somewhat recently on Sundays of like, just listen to your heart. Prioritize yourself. Like, do what's best for you. It stands in the way of these truths of scripture that's like, our hearts are deceitful, our hearts lie to us. I shouldn't consider myself first. I should consider the needs of other people. Or how about, God wants you to be happy. It's like, really? Yeah, happy in him. And you know how you get happy in him? You care about your holiness. That's God's will for your life, that you would become more holy, that you would be conformed into the image of Jesus. And we've said this countless times to start this semester. We hope you get sick of it, honestly, but that you can repeat it back to us that we care more about forever than we do about semesters. That's just fundamentally true about our ministry. We could care less if you have a great college experience if it doesn't set you up to follow Jesus for a lifetime. And so as you just think about what Paul is writing to Timothy, right? He's like, the world's full of distractions. There's a culture that's anti-Jesus. There's persecution coming against you. There's false teaching coming against you. The same is true for us today. And the question we ought to be asking is, how are we gonna finish the race? How are we gonna fight the good fight? How are we going to keep the faith? Because over 50% of college students who claim faith in Christ are disengaged from their faith by the time they're 30. Over 50%. That should make our guards go up and say, I don't wanna be a statistic. So how do we finish the race? We're sticking in 2 Timothy tonight. I'm gonna to read a big chunk of scripture for us tonight, and then I'm gonna help us just narrow in on a couple verses. So we're gonna start in 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 12. The word of God says this, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Comforting. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, there's that command, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, what he's saying is when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so Paul is telling Timothy, this life is going to be hard. Like, for you as a pastor, it's going to be really hard. For your people in your church at Ephesus, this life is going to be really hard. Here's how you finish the race. Okay, number one, you got to continue in what you have learned. Specifically, continue in the sacred writings. He's referring to the Bible. And I thought I would mention this here. Uh, It's kind of a side note, but... Knowing from who you learned it, I think what's sweet about Timothy's story is he primarily learned the scriptures from his grandmother and his mom. He learned the scriptures from Lois and Eunice. You see that in chapter one. And we all long for an earthly dad that will lead us in the scriptures, but praise God for women who love the scriptures and are willing to pass it on to the next generation. I just want to champion that. That is so sweet. In a world that's full of passive men that are not stepping up and leading, praise God for women that take it seriously. And men, we got to do better. Like, we're called to lead. We're called to lead the family unit. And I know you don't have a family unit yet, but Lord willing, one day you might. That's your job. We got we to gotta step up. But back on track. Continue in the sacred writings. And then for your church, preach the word. Preach the word. So on both ends, these commands of like continue in the sacred writings and preach the word is like, okay, if reading and preaching of this book are essential to finishing the race, why is that? Why is that the case? Well, he gives us the answer right in between these commands. We're going to look primarily at verses 16 and 17 tonight. I want to just look at the beginning of verse 16 to get a clue to this answer of why the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 begins by saying, all scripture is breathed out by God. Is breathed out by God. I think what's cool is this imagery kind of brings us back to Genesis where God like sweeps dust up from the ground and breathes life into it to form Adam. He's saying, hey, these scriptures like how they came to fruition is that God breathed into them, which means this book is not just another ordinary book, okay? Hebrews 4.13 says it is alive, it is active, it is like a two-edged sword. It can cut us to the heart. It can convict us of sin. It can discern our thoughts, our intentions. This is not just another piece of literature, okay? This is God's very word spoken to us. And though it has been penned by human hand, it is authored by the very spirit of God himself. And if you're saying, 
Really? Well, I would ask you, how else is it possible for 40 men over 1,600 years across three continents to tell one story that is perfectly in line without contradiction with more than 63,000 cross-references? How else does that happen unless God is in it? How else could more than 2,000 prophecies be fulfilled to AT without error? Like prophecies are promises that are foretold. We're talking hundreds, if not thousands of years ahead of time. More than 2,000 perfectly fulfilled. The odds of this are one in 10 raised to the 20,000th power. And I trust you have no idea what that number means. I tried jumping into this like online exponent calculator. It, it broke the, the calculator. It couldn't do it. It just said infinity. I'm like, no, nah, I don't think that's it. But I did the hard work of plugging in all the zeros to make this happen. All right, this would be the statistical probability of you hitting the lottery jackpot 342 billion times in your life. That's the statistical probability of these prophecies all coming true. You have to understand, this is impossible by human effort. Or if you have a darker uh, sense of humor, it would be equivalent to you getting struck by lightning 400 billion times in your life. Uh, that, would never, that would never happen. You'd be dead after number two, I think. But this is not another book, Salt Company. And that's really important. Like, we're going to get to other important stuff, but I really want you to know that every time we come and we open up this book for you to preach, and every time that you open up this book in your room, at your workplace, right, wherever the Lord finds you, in your car, in park, right, <laughs> like, that you get to hear from God himself. That is such good news for so many reasons. Number one, he's our creator. Any Gospel 101 folks? Come on. He is our creator. He is our loving creator. He is our supreme authority. Like because he made us, he knows how we work, how we're wired. He has given us clear instruction to say, here's how you flourish. I've made you, I want you to know what is for your flourishing. And get this, he's God. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's omniscient, which means all-knowing. He's omnibenevolent, which means he's all good. All of these are great, but think about this. There's a characteristic we don't frequently talk about, and we don't talk about it enough, that God is immutable. That word means unchanging. That God is unchanging. Which means this book gets to be an anchor for us in a culture that is full of change. That we can have God's word penned by his spirit that he himself is never changing. I want to show you this in a few different spots in scripture. Um, Isaiah chapter 40 Verse eight says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And if you went and read in context, what Isaiah was calling grass is people, right? People fade, people die and they move on. And one day I will not be here to preach to you, 
But you know what you'll still have? The Bible. One day, Jake Each will not pastor Veritas Cedar Rapids, and we will miss him greatly. He's a great preacher. But you know what we'll still have? The Word of God. It's the same Word. A couple other passages. James 1.17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Last one, Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We serve an unchanging God, and that is great news for us. Like I said, a world full of change, and what we see today more than ever in a world that is full of information and a lot of trust issues, right? Like, how can we trust what's true, what's fake news, what's real news? I mean, experts predict that by 2025, 463 exabytes of data will be created online every day. And you have no idea what that means. I don't either. How many of you guys know what a DVD is? I started to like feel really old. Okay, sweet. I'm not that old. I, I saw this statistic and I was like, maybe we'll track. And I'm like, do they even know what a DVD is? Like, okay. Um, this would be equivalent to 270 million DVDs of data being created every single day. 270 million DVDs of data created every single day, and it's at your fingertips. It's in your pocket. Like, that creates a level of anxiety in me that's like, can I handle this much information? Not if that's your source of truth, but if you have this as your source of truth, you don't have to worry about it. This is incredible. And I want you to know, Salt Company, like, You should never rely solely on human wisdom when you have access to the word of God. Never rely solely on human wisdom when you have access to the word of God. You don't have to listen to me when you have the word of God. You don't have to always take your professor's word for it when you have the word of God. You don't have to listen to every podcast when you have the word of God. No, those those can help inform us, but I want you to be quick to say, that's great that you said that, but what does God say? What does God say to this? And something that's important for us, specifically as a church here, where I don't know about you, I feel super spoiled that I get to sit under great teaching here on Sunday mornings. And that's a gift to us. There will be times and seasons that you may find yourself in a local church where the preacher is maybe more boring. Or you gotta deal with a guy like me every now and then where it's like, oh, that was kind of boring. But I want you to know the most boring but biblically accurate sermon you have ever heard is actually way more compelling than the most easy to listen to podcast you could ever hear. Like, I want you to begin to train your instincts regardless of how boring a preacher is to say, but God has spoken, and we get to hear God speak to us. This is amazing. Regardless of the stories or the illustrations or the humor, God has spoken. We should be in awe of the fact that we just get to hear his word preached over us, because we're not just hearing from man. We're hearing from God himself. And I love, as this verse continues, that we see that God doesn't small talk, right? Like, 
He's not here to just talk to us about the weather and how it was great it was 60 degrees out and gas prices and elections and whatever boring stuff. No, everything he says is on purpose and with purpose. Here's how verse 16 continues. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. That means it's useful, it's beneficial, it's advantageous for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Like every single word God has spoken that is contained in these scriptures is for your good. It's for your benefit. Even Leviticus, <laughs> right? Even the genealogies, when you come to those to say, wow, this is included in the scriptures. This has to be useful. This has to be for my good. You might have to dig. You might have to find the gold, but it's included in the scriptures. It's for your good. And specifically in this verse, we see that it's good for us in four different ways. I want to just talk quickly through what these words mean. So the first two, teaching and reproof, these have to do with right thinking or right beliefs. So teaching, God's word is useful or advantageous to us to teach us what is right, right? To reveal to us the path of flourishing. So you can look to the scriptures and see, how am I supposed to pray? Well, praise God, Jesus teaches on that. Or what kind of person should I seek to marry? Praise God, Jesus teaches on that. And then there's reproof, which is just the negative side of thinking and believing. God's word shows us what is wrong, not just what is right, but also what is wrong. It exposes the lies that we are confronted with. I think the one that we've talked about already here is, oh, I'm in a personal relationship with Jesus. And what that's become is, I don't need other people to follow Jesus. That's a lie. Because as you begin to read the scriptures, it says, we are one body made up of many members. Again, we've talked about this, 59 different one another commands in the scriptures. So if you're gonna be obedient to God, you have to belong to a church family. You have to be in community. You have to live out the one another's. We need God's word to reprove us. Now these next two, correcting and training have more to do with right living or right behaviors. And similarly, we see one negative and one positive. So correcting, God's word exposes sin in our lives, right? Primarily us. I know you've done this too, I'm guilty of it, where you've sat in a sermon and you're like, I really wish so-and-so was in the room right now. And it's like, well, guess what? They're not, you are, which means God needs to correct you right? Like, he needs to show you sin in your life. Just this last Sunday, Michael Rhodes was teaching in James 4 about, right, this spiritual adultery and falling in love with the ways of this world. And I felt corrected. I was like, wow, I have been bowing down to the idol of comfort and control. I need corrected. I need to return to the love of my life, Jesus Christ, and understand that it is far better that he's in control, that he is my comfort, right? We need the Bible to correct us. And then lastly, training in righteousness. God's word actually helps us obey Jesus. How many of you have ever trained for anything? Anybody? Okay. Back to this whole marathon uh, situation. I always thought, like, runners, pfft, easy, right? We have legs, we're meant to run. 
I had no idea how hard running a marathon would be, right? I started training, and what training requires is, number one, a plan. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes consistency. And along the way, there's many setbacks. That's part of training. <laughs> it's like, you can have a plan. Guess what? You might get injured. I had to go to a chiropractor a couple times. I had to get insoles for my shoes. I went to get a pedicure one time because I had like six dead toenails. That was great. Um, but training requires intentional effort and requires time. I love that when the Spirit inspired Paul to write to Timothy, he used this word training. We need training. And sometimes this training means we need just consistent coming back to truth to actually mold us and conform us into who we're supposed to be. So this idea of training in righteousness that I need training in remembering that true rest is actually found in coming to Jesus, right? Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a promise of scripture I need to frequently come back to and train myself in because I'm just so quick to to fall off the bandwagon and to say, no, rest is found in me watching college basketball. Rest is found in me scrolling on my phone. Rest is found in me fill in the blank. I need training to say, no, true rest is found in coming to Jesus time and time again, sitting at his feet, soaking in the scriptures. And all of these things, teaching, reproof, correcting and training in righteousness, all serve to accomplish this final goal in verse 17, that, or for this reason, that the man of God, that the follower of Jesus would be complete. That word also means mature. That we might become mature in our faith and equipped for every good work. You are not as mature as you need to be in your faith. I hope you know that. And when you look at Ephesians 2, right, we're saved by grace through faith. This is not of our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. That is good news. And then you continue in verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We are created anew in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Like when God saved you, he said, I have good works planned out for you for the rest of your life. Insult company, you have no idea the good works that God has prepared ahead of you, but you're not equipped for all of them. You're not equipped. You need maturing and you need equipping, and that's why we need the preaching of God's word on a consistent basis to come back and say, I need God's word in order to live for God, not just to last for God, but to live for him today, tomorrow, next week, and next month. I have one last, actually, I don't want to lie to you. I have two other scripture references for you, but I want to look quickly with you uh, at Ephesians 4. This is a passage that, that we take seriously here as a church. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. The word of God says, And he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, he gave like the roles of the church to do this to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
like to equip followers of Jesus to do the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, right? To complete maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We are at risk if we remain little children in the faith. If we do not sit under the preaching of God's word, if we do not commit to the reading of God's word, we will be like spiritual infants. And when the winds and wave of life come, trials, tribulations, persecution, false teaching, We're just gonna get swept along. We're gonna get thrown off track. We're not going to last and we're not going to live for God. But that doesn't have to be the case because God has spoken. He's given us all that we need in the scriptures. So here's what you need to know tonight. We need to hear from God in order to live for God. That's why we preach the Bible. We need to hear from God in order to live for God. That is why we preach this book in this book alone. Now, I understand this entire sermon has been primarily built out assuming that you are a follower of Jesus and I am not so naive to think that there are people that are spiritually seeking in this room. I am so glad you're here. And it's really hard to live for God when you don't know him. In fact, it's impossible So before we can even sometimes, for some of you, get to this spot of living for God, I want you to know that I also preach tonight and we preach every week that you would simply just come to know him. I mean, 2 Timothy, Paul writes to him talking about these sacred writings which he was acquainted with. In chapter 3, verse 15, which he says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's like the preaching of God's word is meant to show you your sin. To show you that you fall short of God's glory. To show you that he is perfect. That he is set apart. That you cannot earn your way to him. But also that Christ doesn't need you to earn your way to him because he's come to you. This redemptive plan that's been set out from the beginning of time that Jesus came in your place. He was the word become flesh. He was perfection who came and became to us glory, full of grace and truth to show you your need for a savior in Jesus. Romans 10, this is the last scripture reference I have for you. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that means everyone, like no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how far gone you think you are, if you call on the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, I need you to save me, the promise here is you will be saved. But then the question is, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone what? Preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, even if they have dead toenails. (laughs) But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And then verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ.
And it is my prayer, it is our Salt Company staff team's prayer, it is our church's prayer that every time we open up this divine book that is alive and active, that there are people who see their sin in a new way and say, I need a savior. Jesus is his name. I submit to him, not just as savior, but as Lord. He is worth following for the rest of my life. And so I wanna give you three applications tonight. The first is to receive. And what I mean by that is, number one, receive Jesus, right? The word became flesh. Receive the good news of the gospel. Stop trying to earn your way to God when God came to you. Receive the forgiveness of your sins. Confess that you have rebelled against him. Take on his righteousness that he has freely given to you. But with that, moving forward, let's commit to receiving sound instruction on a regular basis. Not just on Thursday nights. Like, I'm really glad you're here. You need to belong to a local church that preaches the Bible faithfully week after week after week. And if the sermons consist of one verse and 40 minutes of a pastor's own personal stories, I'm asking questions, right? But if we're in the scriptures, we're dissecting it, we're picking it apart, we're saying this is what God has spoken, that's what it means to faithfully preach the word of God. Commit to a local church that will do that. Secondly, read. Like I know tonight we're talking about preaching, but I want you to be a people that read the word of God for yourself. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, the same spirit that penned these words lives inside of you. You can understand it. You might need his help. Ask, God help me understand. Read it in community. Come alongside other people that can help you read and understand what is being said. And also with this, I just wanna, I wanna give you guys a welcome challenge, okay? There's a group of people in Acts 17 called the Bereans. Maybe you've heard of them before. But in Acts 17, 11, it talks about their character and what they would do on a consistent basis. It says they did two things. They received the word with all eagerness and they examined the scriptures to see if these things were so. And so I'm honestly, I'm telling you, don't take my word for it. Like, I hope you trust me, but take God at his word. I hope you trust Jake. I hope you trust, if you don't come to a local church like here at Veritas, if you're at another Bible preaching local church, do the same thing. Test what is being taught on a Sundays against the scriptures. Read it for yourself. And lastly, respond. I love Romans 12 too, which says, do not be conformed to the, the patterns or the ways of this world, but be what? Anybody? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. It doesn't say be informed, it says be transformed. So do not sit under teaching just to listen and learn. Sit under teaching, read the Bible, not just to listen, but to change. That is the goal, that God would change you to look more like his son. And here's what this looks like. If we live this out, Salt Company, we will be a people that will last. We will not be the statistic that gets published year after year in Barna studies of young people leaving the faith. We would be a people that last, that one day, you know, whether you're 40, 60, or 80, 
that you might be able to call up one of your friends that's in this room with you right now, someone in your connection group, and be like, hey, what's God been teaching you lately in his word? And they would have an answer for you. <laughs> like, that would be so incredible. That is our dream for you. Again, not just that you would have a great four years or four semesters in Salt Company, but that you would follow Jesus faithfully for the next 60 years and beyond. Because Jesus is the only way that you will be satisfied. So we're gonna pray to that end, that we would be a people that last and a people that are satisfied in God's word. Pray with me. God, I thank you that you have spoken. And um, yeah, I just, again, have this picture in my head of Genesis where you spoke and creation came into being. And just how close and intimate and careful you were to sweep up the dust of the ground and breathe life into it to form mankind. Set apart from the rest of creation that you would not just speak and call it into existence, but that you would breathe life into your people. God, you care so deeply for us and you care so deeply that you would breathe life into the pages of the Bibles that sit in our hands tonight. A book that we so often neglect while people on the other side of the world are literally dying to get their hands on. God, we are sorry. We're quick to turn to other entertainment, to be in awe of secular knowledge, and to completely neglect the divine wisdom of God. But we do not want to be that kind of people. We want to be people that love your word, that sit at your word, that long for sound preaching of your word, and that we would be quick to receive it and read it and respond to it day after day, week after week, and that in doing so, God, that we would be a people that last. That we would be able to, like Paul, say, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Because, Jesus, you alone are worthy. We love you. Help us respond and worship tonight. We pray in your name. Amen.